guys. Welcome back to Here There Be Dragons, a Black Sails podcast. I'm Chelsea. I'm Lewis. Dragon check. No dragons. No dragons. <laughs> so if you're tuning in because the show has the word dragons in the title, you're sorry. out of luck here. Out of luck. And we made a mistake. However, if you turned into the show to see some boobs, you came to you the right are place. in luck this episode because we probably saw about roughly nine nine boobs. I, Not an even I number would of boobs. Take an estimate. <laughs> there were nine nine boobs. Here there be boobs. <laughs> A Black Sales podcast. Okay. So, yeah, we start off the show with some highly unnecessary boobs. We start off the show with some highly unnecessaries. Yeah. In general, I that think. That was, I think, the closest we ever will get to sex position. Uh, I think there's more to come. Okay. Fair bet. Okay. <laughs> I just mean, actually, the conversation between Max and Eleanor was like, boring, boring, dry, boring. Yeah, it felt very much like background setup. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because the cliffhanger we had from episode one was really good. Mm-hmm. And like the last scene we were left with with episode one was so piratey and so important to the plot and important to the characters with this mutiny that was thwarted by Flint and his plotting and bringing Billy more dangerously close to the fold and making him much more important than Billy ever thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I thought that conversation was just really boring and I don't really have anything else to say about it. Yeah, it just... It just was sort of another introduction to to, I think, incredible female characters that unfortunately has still not yet lived up to the level of the male characters at this point. Yeah. Although, you know, to their credit, although I guess we weren't keeping time, it does feel like, you know, they are half the episode. Oh, yeah. They're like their story is center is center stage in some ways. And it's a backdrop. To, Definitely. Well, and I think after this scene, it gets way more interesting. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Between We're, the two of them. Actually, this yeah, is well, this is just some necessary information that we the audience needed about like the stakes of Nassau's setup that are about to be thwarted yeah. later on in the episode. I would rather have had this exposition in episode one instead of all the vain Bonnie Jack stuff. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of them, uh, before we get back to the mutiny, uh-huh. the thing we see is I think it's Vane sitting on the beach looking at the we ship. Just and waiting. I was also just thinking about like. You know, because I've been after we made that comment last time. I've been thinking yeah. about like, how would you introduce Vane? And it's also like, not like this. No, he's sitting he on seems... the beach like a child. Yes, it's like. <laughs> well, but I think that that's kind of the point. Well, yeah, no, I love it as a Vane <laughs> diehard. Like, yeah. yes, Vane. Yeah. Um, but it's still like it was such a an emasculating. I know he's just sitting there with this little telescope. Yeah, it's being kind of bitchy. It's <laughs> being kind of bitchy, just sort of being like, I cannot wait. Till he sees my face. Yeah, it's just, it's it's not beneath him, because it's not like he's not petty. It's just that right. he wouldn't be so openly in front of Anne yeah. and Jack. So, like, no, stop. I want to see them. The whole dynamic between Vane, Anne, and Jack feels like it's not quite figured out yet. It's not really quite what it's going to end up being. Yeah. There seems like there's a weird sense of competition right now between Jack and Vane. In a way where... Vane should be kind of winning every argument. Yeah, Vane the is captain. the captain. And Vane knows to not look stupid in front of other people. And yeah. there are times where Jack makes him look stupid. Yeah. 
It's, anyway, a, it's a little confusing. We'll but. have more to say about that later on. Um, but mm-hmm. can we start talking about the mutiny after effects and what happens after the... Because it's just everything just starts to move so fast. It's like, it's actually... Yeah, we well, talk about the mutiny. Well, it's just the best um, example of that thing that you were saying about how smart all the characters are. Yeah. It's like, it's just all of a sudden everybody makes the realizations very fast. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. And, and it's not like impressive. It's just like, oh yeah, let's keep this moving. The next mm-hmm. thing that would happen is that Silver is under the bullseye and that it's... Uh, that they're after him and they figure out that it's him. Yeah. Um, and also that they feel like idiots that they didn't get him before. Yeah. But that's okay, guys. You just lost Don't worry, him by guys. one episode. Um, but also that that whole thing begins with Billy looking at Gates and saying, what did I do? Yeah. I really got the sense this episode that Billy, well, two things, that Gates is basically the best pirate you could be, like moralistically. That's not a word. Moralistically. Uh, He's the most moral pirate. Oh, moralistically. Yes. yes. <laughs> I still don't think it's a word, but he, he's the most moral pirate. Ethical. Yeah, he's the most ethical pirate yeah. that you could possibly be. You know, he's still not 100% a great guy. He's like, you definitely did the right thing, Billy, letting that man die because he was like kind of an idiot and like wasn't actually going to lead our crew. But he does have like a pretty figured out moral compass. And you really get the sense this episode that Billy needs that guidance. Yeah. Especially because he is so confused by Flint. Yeah. He has no idea why he's doing what he's doing, why he's letting people die and like murdering them basically. And he just seems like, poor Billy, he seems so confused and so lost and Gates is able to guide him through this. He's, he just seemed really young again. Yeah. Young again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also his arms are incredible. Fucking insane. (laughs) It's so funny to think of him as like a young child when he's that big. I know. He's (laughs) a huge man. (laughs) Um, but yeah, also this is the beginning that we see of like wily, clever silver. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's not the beginning of it, but it's, uh, it's really like under pressure, quick thinking, yeah, not like scheming. When but he gets like, on the beach and he tells three guys, or he asks three guys different questions yeah. about services and the that's so. Um, it feels so like piratey, like it feels mm-hmm. like something out of an Indiana Jones movie. You know, yeah. like it's like this. It's this quick little joke about how he escapes into the crowd. Yeah, and it and it's got a great payoff and it's got a great like that guy's clever. Yeah, uh, thing. This episode I noticed had a lot more funny moments. Yeah, than. Last episode and then episodes typically will. Yeah. Like Silver does a belly flop. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird though. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. It's funny that he tries to sneak off the ship and everybody watches him get yeah. belly flop into the water. Yeah. Yeah. And then he makes up for it with his smarts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also was like thinking it's not just that moment on the beach is like, oh, how clever he is, but it's also. Um, how how lying is his thing mm-hmm. how it's just like how easily he just turned he's like they're on me and it's my first thing is lie to these yeah. men like and uh it's not like it's evil or morally wrong it's just that like that's the tool he's got yeah deception mm-hmm. and uh and all that <laughs> there was also the first hint that we got that Randall is not as incapacitated as we think he is yeah, 
Randall, like, stayed off my radar for the first few episodes that I watched the show. Yeah. I didn't realize how early he was introduced. Yeah. And, uh, he's... <laughs> he's got this great presence there that's just sort of like, yeah. what's up with him? Yeah. <laughs> my theory right now is that he... Randall's the one who is, accuses him of being a thief. Yeah, because we don't like thieves. Yeah. Um... My theory right now is that Randall's actually all there mentally, but somehow his communication got messed up when he got hit on the head so that he can think through everything and realizes everything that's going on. He just can't quite communicate it. Okay. That's my theory right now. Well, let's check in on that theory (laughs) as Randall does more. (laughs) (laughs) It's fair. Do you want to talk about Eleanor and Mr. Scott? Yeah. What about them? I think it's so clear this episode that Mr. Scott is Eleanor's dad. Yeah. Like, just the language that they use with each other is so father-daughter. I mean, at one point when he's mad at her, he's like, I'm really mad at you. And she's like, I know, but I really wanted to do this. And he's like, no, I'm mad at you, and here's why what you did is wrong. And then he literally (laughs) says to her, tell me that you understand. I mean, that is such a dad phrase when you're in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) He's like tell me that you understand. And she's like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, there's also Max gives her the whole speech about how everyone has left her and how like, yeah, how her family's just gone. Yeah. And then near the end of the episode, she says to him, please stay with me. Yeah. She's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is her family. family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. But also again, like we just returned to Eleanor being undermined from her place of power. Yeah. By almost every other character around her, which is great because it's like, you know, that dynamic totally informs Scott's character um, yeah. and Vane and uh, Max and Flint and everyone around her. But it just feels like she just moves from scene to scene in these relationships where characters tell her what she's doing is wrong mm-hmm. or she's proven wrong mm-hmm. or she tries to do something and another character does it better. Right. Um, or she does something that is obviously not going to have a good fan reaction like the end of the episode in particular when she leaves she doesn't leave max when she dumps her and betrays her entirely i mean poor eleanor poor eleanor's character (laughs) like she's not powerful she's not really that successful so far that we've seen and she was just like horribly cruel to one of at least my favorite characters I think she's she's just not set up for the audience to like her very much. No. Unfortunately. Yeah. What is cool about her character, though, is the signs of respect and power that we do see come from two of supposedly the most powerful players in Nassau, Flint and Vane. Yeah. Both of them show incredible deference to her and respect. I mean, Vane goes in there and he's super nervous. He's like... Playing with his fingers, playing with his hands, being like, please, can we have yeah. some more orders? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I'll think about it. Yeah, and Flint totally doesn't have doesn't diminish himself in front of her, but he totally turns to her as the voice of authority and mm-hmm. power on the island, which is really cool um, and is textually happening there. Mm-hmm. But still, you don't walk away from these interactions with the feeling that Eleanor is in complete control of anything. Yeah. And again, I know... That's happening in the story. She's mm-hmm. not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think at no. this point. But, but it's just it doesn't do well for her long term 
uh, ability to hook us as a character if we just can't see her be good at anything. Yeah. I think we have to invest a little more deeply in these signs that we do get of her power and her control when we see her interactions with Flint and Vane. Um, I really wanted the first time we meet Vane to be when he comes into that guy who's being an asshole to Eleanor. And the guy's like, well, I'm of the blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And Vane's just like, Charles Vane of the Ranger. Yeah. That is a great intro. It's very Indiana Jones, very piratey. Yes, it is. And it happens like in the sixth scene that we see Vane. Yeah, and it's sort <laughs> yeah of like, we definitely know Vane at this point. Yeah. But it's just badass. It's cool. I think this points to, again, how young I think Eleanor is supposed to be. I think she's supposed to be like a teenager because I think that Eleanor is really smart. But she's very impulsive. She acts on her emotions. I'm not calling a woman emotional feminist. I just want to put that out there. She acts on her emotions in a way that feels a little young, a little impulsive to me. And that means that these older men like Mr. Scott and Flint and even Vane, honestly, can have some, some more control over their actions and what they're doing. So it just seems like sometimes she feels like her she's out of her league a little bit, but not because she's not smart enough. She just hasn't lived enough yet. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. As you were saying that I was thinking about Max. Yeah. Cause Max is like the opposite. Yeah. She like, she, she just, uh, uh, gives off a, a feeling of, of age and wisdom mm-hmm. and her ability to have a measured, analysis of all situations Mm -hmm. it's very like it's very silver without the impulsiveness i guess well this episode feels like max's origin story yeah yeah you know well that's what the uh, the last thing i was going to say about eleanor was about just that scene where she betrays max in that way it's it's like you know there's a lot of theme in this episode about nassau Mm -hmm. as a home Mm -hmm. and about where um you can put your roots and where what is a symbol of your future and what is a symbol of like your stability yeah as a person and you know for eleanor her family is just gone she's got this island yeah like she she's got scott but she's really got like this position and she's got this island well one other quick thing i wanted to point out is that i mean mr scott is uh, I'm not quite sure what his status is, but he definitely was a slave to her dad and is now potentially paid. Yeah, I think they use the word employed. I think he is employed now. But in some way, she and her family are still paying him to be there yeah. and to be her companion. Yeah. And she very casually also, when she comes downstairs after a morning with Max, hands over coins to the head of the brothel and says, for Max. Yeah. She's paying for Max, too. Yeah. I mean, these two people that are the closest to her in the world, she pays for both of them. Yeah. It's awful. That's awful. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, um... So, of course she feels alone. And that Nessa is the only thing that she has and has ever done and ever will do of any significance. And Max recognizes that. And Max tells her in that speech, like, you have nothing here. Yeah. Um... It's and sand. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's nothing. And it's and it's um it's so interesting to watch in that scene how 
little Max thinks of Nassau herself. Yeah. And how she is sort of projecting a little bit. I mean, she sees um, a future with Eleanor. Like, she really considers in that moment when she's doing this deal with Silver that this is, you know, she keeps saying Mm -hmm. this is our freedom, this is our ticket out of here. It's freedom for you, too. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's just this, this... you're, what you said, this episode is an origin story for Max, and it's like, yeah, that betrayal of yep. Eleanor in that moment saying, I would give it up. I would give you up for Nassau. Nassau is my family. Yeah. Um, is, uh, is a big deal. And a big deal for Eleanor and a big deal for Max. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've seen how smart Max is, and we've seen how good of a businesswoman she is. Like, when they're counting the pearls, and she's like, yep, that's the first one. Yeah. Now tell me the value of the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, she is good at it. And even when Vane is, like, choking her, she knows how to play the scene and is like, Silver, don't come in here. I've got it under control. Like, she's very good at this kind of wheeling and dealing and getting what she wants through these business and political maneuvers. But she was doing it, like you said, for Eleanor and for her to get away. And this is the moment that Max realizes that she also is alone. Yeah. And only has herself to rely on. Yeah, and actually that's a good segue because I was going to mention the um the only the, the scenes where she's that she's in with Silver are electric. Yeah. Like it, from from the start and they're they're really you can tell there's two very smart people, very conniving people who are in sync with each other, who are very clever. Um it is um, an interesting thing because if you are familiar with Treasure Island, if you're very familiar with Treasure Island, then you might remember or know that uh, one of the characters, I believe it's either Silver himself or someone says about Silver uh, in Treasure Island mentions that uh, his wife is a woman of color, that he is married uh, and that his wife is a woman of color uh, back at home. She doesn't appear in Treasure Island, but she's mentioned. Um, and now, she's mentioned as kind of like a business partner too right uh she's mentioned as someone that flint that silver will return to when his business is done in treasure island mm-hmm. i think is sort of like a not home and hearth but sort of a yes they're equal partners in some yeah some enterprise mm-hmm. um so just as a little nugget yeah to drop in your brain interesting mm-hmm. um of course, because Max is like this is the only woman of color on the show. That's just something that you have to. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. just something you 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 have to take note of. Mm-hmm. Um, we do get also in this um, in this scene of her business deal with with Jack and Vane, we get another glimpse of how smart Jack is. In that he immediately is able to reason out to Vane why Singleton could absolutely not have the page. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah yeah! That yeah. scene is great. It's great. And then he also just sees Max do a little hand signal and automatically knows someone must be next door and it's the person at the page. Yeah. It, that scene is such a great microcosm of one of the things I love about Black Sails' plot. It's not just that every, everything is moving forward so quickly and characters are figuring things out. It's sort of like um, uh, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and their worst, uh, one of their worst vices was that they thought that Pirates was all about making deals and double crossing and like back channel conversations with the British and 
and all these things that audiences just couldn't keep track of. And it was yeah. just all these deals. And we had a deal, Jack. And don't you remember? And I don't remember. I don't know why that's like a trope of the pirate genre. They felt like they had to do. I just don't yeah. know where that comes from. I don't know. But, um, but it happens in the show much better. It happens where it's just these characters are in, are in cahoots. They have a deal. They have a plan. This other character figures out their plan entirely and yeah. they need to change. Yeah. And think, this guy's on the run. Yeah. The whole situation has changed. The mm-hmm. power dynamic has changed. Um, and as an audience member, it's easier to keep track of and it's just more exciting yeah. because it just moves the plot along yeah. and it makes all the characters smarter in the process. Um, it's and, really cool. And because you fully understand the deal... When Jack goes into the water and all those pearls come out, (laughs) you're just like, oh, no. Because you know the stakes of this deal, and you know exactly what those pearls mean. You're you're not just like, "Uh uh-oh, he lost some treasure. Yeah. Like, you know. Their entire crew. That is all their treasure. Yeah. And Jack has already had to convince everybody of this plan. Yeah. Including Vane. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so bad. It's just, <laughs> it's also so dramatic. I, this is one of the things I also love about the show that's sort of hard to explain to people when I'm saying this, this, is, this historical fiction pirate genre show is so fun uh-huh. because it shows the business of being a pirate. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's, that doesn't sound fun. Yeah. But I love that what you just described was Jack bet their crew's entire fortune yeah. on this deal. Yeah. And he loses it. Yeah. And that's a funny thing, but to watch it happen is like, no, they got the pearls appraised. He sort of had to uh-huh. convince uh, Vane of the, that this deal was equitable and that there was, and that that was something that was in their business interest because the business of the island had shifted away from their favor and mm-hmm. that this other crew has this page, but who, and it's just the mechanics of that deal are, I, I think are interesting. And yeah. it's fun to get to this point of like, We've seen Jack lose all of it. Also, speaking of treasure, in the last episode, we got a sense of the Urk Dilemma is important because of just the the amount of money that it carries. That it's just a huge amount of treasure that's unheard of in the world of piracy. But I feel like this episode, we get more of a sense of what the treasure could actually do for Nassau. Mm-hmm. especially now that Richard Guthrie is gone mm-hmm. with Flint talking to Eleanor about how the money could make them independent. No matter who comes, they can defend the Island. They can make crops. They can build homesteads. They can really make Nassau a city of thieves mm-hmm. as he calls it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's just so, it's such a repositioning, not just of the treasure, but kind of the whole show. Yeah. Because the first thing from the first episode talked about this war against the world. Mm-hmm. And even Flint sort of said, "I the new world needs a yeah. king. We're headed towards war. He said that to Billy. But then in this moment with Eleanor, he says, this treasure can buy us peace. Yeah. You know, like that. And, and yeah, it, it's just, a, it's, it's, it's a different thing and yeah. and I feel like uh this is the real flint. Yeah. This is this is flint not in front of his men. This is flint in front of Eleanor. He needs Eleanor to help him do this mission and he says yeah. I need I need peace. He, he trusts her enough yeah. to share this vision with her cuz he knows that she shares the same vision. Yeah. Otherwise he wouldn't be telling her. Just like he told Billy a vision of war mm-hmm. because he knew that vision was going to convince Billy. Mm-hmm. I think he believes in both both visions are coming, but 
he definitely is able to inspire people in very specific ways. He's he's sort of able to adapt his leadership position to fit yeah. the role that he's filling. Yeah. At that time. And that's particularly interesting given the end of episode twist. The big twist that the big the big scary pirate, the center of the the most named character in Treasure Island the book and the main character of our show basically, uh, this fierce pirate comes to this home mm-hmm. on Nassau. Mhm. With this woman who's there to welcome him. Playing the harpsichord? Something. I think it's the harpsichord. And he collapses. Yeah. And he looks so tired. Yeah. And she put on some water. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She's so... She's so unlike anything we've seen before. And we haven't really really seen her yet. We'll see see more of her. Yes. Um, The show creator has said... Uh, in certain interviews that we've seen that in some ways this is a show about domesticity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has already started to rear its head. Mm-hmm. This is a show about these savages who live on the edge of civilization, who've built this civilization for themselves yeah. and have a system and have the society and who within that society is, is fighting against it, uh, against the empire because, they like to resist authority and they like violence and they like the chaos and who was just there to live a life of freedom mm-hmm. um, and peace. And, you know, Flint, as we just said, Flint has occupied two sides of that coin so far in the first yeah. two episodes of the show. Yeah. Um, but him having this home and, and, and this woman, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an interesting spin on, um, on our on the image of our fierce pirate captain, which mm-hmm. is also another reason that people who maybe came to Black Sails looking for a Michael Bay produced pirate yeah. show are going to be, you know, end of episode two mm-hmm. is like your big bad pirate captain has a wife, you know. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, this is it's where, not clear if they're we don't we just, don't know the relationship yeah. quite yet, but yeah, this is sort of where the picture starts to get complicated. Yeah, for a couple reasons. I mean, the hot lesbian couple from the first episode. Just broke up. Yeah. And what seems to be a, a devastating emotional turn for both of them. Yeah. You know, and yeah, Flint has this home. Yeah. And I mean, there's just so many things. Billy is really conflicted morally. He's not just your scrappy young cabin boy who's going to learn to be a pirate. It's already starting to get much deeper and much more intricate and complicated. And we also have Silver running around grinning like an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he's still, you know, I have to say, like, he's still doing his thing. Yeah. He's not building his character up, really. That's um, much. As much as I love that moment with the beach and all that stuff, and he's running and he's smart, and that whole yeah. memorization of the page thing is brilliant and yes. cool. And uh, and sending out the hobos to... to uh, yes. I, I admire his smarts, his, like, street smarts. But I don't really know or care that much about him yet. Yeah. And uh, although I will say it, it did take note of, again, him sending the uh, the people out at the wrecks to, to interface with Jack and Vane. You know, for as as um, as vicious as Vane was mm-hmm. to just kill that man. Yeah. Um, Jack was the only one in that scenario who was like, what is this? Yeah. Silver sitting on the other side of those rocks just being like, oh, damn, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. You know, like so this guy, 
Um, obviously, we know the subtext of all this is that he becomes a bad guy. He's yeah. a bad guy in Treasure Island. Um, but he's he he's already showing not like ruthlessness, but just sort of like a general indifference to the the. Uh, well, even in the first episode, I mean, he was yeah very calculated about his own personal safety. Yeah, you know, he wasn't like well, I should fight along with the crew and maybe I could protect somebody or save somebody. It was, well, no, I I don't want to die. Yeah. So I'm going to go down here. You have a valuable thing? Well, I'll kill you. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Silver has not had to live with very many consequences. No, not at all. Um, so, uh, and, you know, to some degree, that sort of being held accountable for the things he's done is what d- defines the characters and, like, how they, you know, talk about their... Actions and, and beliefs in the world and stuff. And Silver has just been spending the first two episodes lying and hiding and running. So Yeah. Uh, but he'll get there. He'll get there. <laughs> well, also I think it's interesting to see that... So right now he's using people, including Max, just to get what he wants. But I think as we see in Treasure Island, and correct me if I'm wrong, he definitely uses Jim Hawkins. Oh, yes. That's but the whole... he also cares about him. Well, does he? <laughs> I mean, there's at least ambiguity. Yes. That he cares about him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just something to keep in mind that perhaps part of this character's revolution is deeply embedded in his relationships with other people, mm-hmm. regardless to what we're seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Something to keep an eye on. Something to keep an eye on. <laughs> so um, last week we did a little piece of reading from Treasure Island. This week, what we thought was one of the core elements of the episode, and really one of the core elements of the show, is when Flint's talking to Eleanor and he starts telling her about the Odyssey and about how this ghost appears to Odysseus and tells him that when you go so far inland that the people around you see you holding an oar and they think it's a shovel, that's when you're going to finally be away from the sea and be at peace. So the actual quote from the Odyssey, um, this is translated by Fagels, if anyone cares, as an Odyssey, I don't know, expert out there. Um, So it's Tiresias as the ghost. And he says, carry your well-planed oar until you come to a race of people who know nothing of the sea, whose food is never seasoned with salt Strangers all to ships with their crimson prows and long, slim oars, wings that make ships fly. And here is your sign, unmistakable, clear, so clear you cannot miss it. When another traveler falls in with you and calls that weight across your shoulder a fan to winnow grain, then plant your bladed, balanced oar in the earth and sacrifice the beasts of the Lord God of the sea. Then journey home and render noble offerings up to the deathless gods who rule the vaulting skies to all the gods in order. I just think that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But basically, we get the first glimpse of both the myth of the Odyssey and Flint as potentially an Odysseus character. And we also get this sort of glimpse into Flint as a man and what he wants and what he is actually striving for. And it feels at odds to what we've seen Flint talk about before. He talked to Billy about being a king. And that seems very different from walking inland until you have a shovel. 
I love the Odyssey. I love all adaptations of the Odyssey. I love the story and I love the metaphors and all that stuff within. And I'm just really glad the show just got right to it. Yeah. It totally feels like the show, um, you know, it still has some trappings of the pilot, but that Mm -hmm. out of the pilot, uh, and this mutinous, that mutinous, uh, climax that the second episode is, is about the main character saying, I just want to stop. I just want to find peace. Mm -hmm. I like my, I I want this treasure to retire Mm -hmm. and not just to retire, to find some sort of divine cosmic peace that is like to to find a location so far from where I am right now that it may not even be on this plane, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just so epic and so, um, I think epic's a good word. Yeah. And it also is not, I appreciate that they recognize that the, the Odyssey is, probably going to come up for them in this show and they're recognizing it right away but also that they're recognizing it with a quote that at least i had never heard about or studied before yeah this is not like a very i think a very obvious or typical moment that is brought up from the odyssey but it's so perfect for what this show is about yeah it's so central to the themes of striving to find somewhere new and to find somewhere to be home and to settle that's away from the violence, away from the conflict, just somewhere completely foreign and completely new. You know, um, I had mentioned to Chelsea while we were watching the episode, too. In all these conversations between Flint and Eleanor and Flint and Max, or I'm sorry, uh, Eleanor and Max, about freedom and and, and all this, um, even Silver talks a little bit about it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um no one's talking about family. No one's yeah. talking about legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're talking about themselves. Yeah. They're talking about their demons and their experiences and um, their uh, just want to escape from it all. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really reminds me a lot of, um, you know, if, if this show had been in a different medium, like if it had been a... a, a, a as, if, as a 12-year-old, if I had encountered this story in a movie, in a TV show or whatever, or a book, yeah. probably more likely a book, it's, yeah. um, I think I would have felt that it was very young adult. And mm-hmm. I think one of the defining things about young adult stories for me, um, where there are adventures about about adults, is that they don't have children. Yeah. They are still young in some ways, and they're so fighting for their own... like. The characters, okay, so this is this is an easy one for me, but the characters in Star Wars don't have, like, Luke and Leia and Han are main characters in Star Wars, and to some degree they are kids, but they're not children. Right. They're adults. They're adults in their well, early... It's kind of like, um, it's a little bit like a lot of Disney movies. Like, yes. Disney princesses are supposed to be, like, in their late teens... Maybe some, I don't know their exact canonical ages, yeah. but like maybe even early 20s. But when little kids see them, they're like, oh, she's probably nine because I'm seven and she looks a little bit older than yeah. me. <laughs> and they have no concept that like, no, this person's supposed to be an adult. Yeah. Because they don't act like an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there's something about the selfishness of the characters and yeah. the self-centeredness um, that, um, and I'm not saying that if you're not talking about kids, then you're selfish. Right. But there's something about this like dog eat dog world that they're in. Self-invested. Yeah. um, I don't know. Because I I just, we're going to talk again a lot about domesticity and 
and peace and this sort of thing. But mm-hmm. but but family in terms of having children and in yeah. terms of continuing some uh, 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 a, a value system or a, a personal tradition through family is not yeah. something that the show is about. We definitely get a couple of romantic relationships that are deep enough to be considered family, yeah. I would say. Yeah. But there's only like one instance of children that I could even think of right now, but it's uh, yeah. not not about this. No, it's not about this. It's not about finding a place for my home and my family and to raise my next generation. Yeah. There's not a lot of that about the next generation. Yeah. And of course, that's also probably symptomatic about the of the world they live in where it's just not secure enough for them to mm-hmm. think to even think of those things. But when Flint talks about his fantasy of building a civilization mm-hmm. and settling down, it is not about having a kid there. No. You know? It's not. Um which I just think is interesting. It is. Um because that also feels very stereotypical of like historical dramas. Yeah. That these men are like, well, my my son will inherit the blood blood. Yeah. There's nothing of that. And also, I mean, and also just fantasy in general. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. Game of Thrones is, mm-hmm. is an example of thing that like is a so much family. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it's not just family. It's just about like my family will win in the end. Like yeah. the, like all this will be for something because my kid will benefit from the world that I've created. Yeah. Um, and. Maybe there's some talk a little bit about a little bit of that as the show goes on, but yeah. it's not it's not about that. It's about right now. It's about it freedom about, yeah. right now. It's about correcting injustice and violence and mm-hmm. war right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the stakes are so immediate as if to feel sort of like a um, a, f- a fantasy that I would have enjoyed like in young adult fiction. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That that's sort of why I brought it up. It just felt like the char- the stakes are so immediate. Yeah. Um, even though, again, they're talking about settling down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that also, I mean, uh, you know, if you're watching the show again and thinking about stuff, the, the show is a prequel to Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. And the sh- first season is about the biggest treasure galleon that could ever yeah. have existed. The thought may cross your mind that the treasure that they're after is the treasure of Treasure Island. And even if it's not, this is like some huge some of treasure and it just makes you think about at least when I first watched the show I just kept thinking about you know like why would a pirate bury treasure mm-hmm. and and why and who are they are they protecting it from someone are they hiding it from someone are they saving it for their next of kin yeah you know like these are questions that I, I just never even think you know think about when you think about stuff like treasure island and pirates and buried treasure but when you see these these stakes and these conversations about what they need to survive you suddenly think like I, I don't know, like suddenly burying something that is so important to them yeah. feels like a very logical decision. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, nobody's mentioning about burying any of that stuff now, but it's right. just like when you talk about these huge sums of money and you think about treasure and stuff, I just, these are the things my mind was filled with. Yeah. Should we take our shovels and go? <laughs> I have one more thing that I think is really important that okay. we haven't talked about. Um, fruit, fruit. <laughs> Tits. Tits. And that's it. <laughs> Actually, I did have one quick thing I wanted to say about that, that when I first saw it, I was like, this is so funny. It's so wrong. That painting is so bad. But I was thinking about it this time, like, 
there are a lot of people you could sell that painting to who would have no idea that it's a bad painting yeah. and that it's not the real thing. <laughs> I mean, it also, I mean, that conversation is cute and throwaway, but... It's so um, funny. But it's also a conversation about art. Yeah. I mean, this is a show that this episode mentioned the Odyssey. It has uh-huh. a kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, little bit about art and about... Uh, content versus like the idea that this, this pirate quality. Yeah, this pirate is like i don't get it yeah. they have the same things in them it's the same picture yeah and and, and you know it's it's um <laughs> i don't i mean i i'm the writers of the show are brilliant but but this might have some connection to the theme about stories and about yeah. like the the myths and tales that uh, these pirates are spinning about themselves and that eventually become the backbone of Treasure Island and, and other things about our modern day understanding of pirates. But it's just sort of, you know, to my eye, these things are the same. And so this this painting is just as true as this painting. Yeah. Um, even though they are different in some important ways, they are the same in important ways to me. Oh, Allison. Kitty attack. Um. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe I'm just reading it. Maybe it's just English class reading into that scene. But I feel like that's a fun, but it's that's fun, a fun to thing do. to read into. It is fun. Fruit, fruit. Fruit, Tits, tits. Okay. Okay. Well, I think um, I have no more notes. <laughs> I have no notes. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I guess um, that's it for this episode. We'll see you when we talk about episode three. See you next week. Bye. Bye.